Collectibles Boom is getting the Netflix treatment. It's Wednesday, April 26th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. If you know one name in the collectibles world, there's a good chance that name is Ken Golden. He has been living and breathing sports collectibles, especially trading cards, for decades, and has seen that industry in every possible phase, including the fascinating one, which we just went through. When life shut down due to the pandemic, one of the many unanticipated effects was that sports cards, both old and new, got really hot. We are in the wake of that period in a brand new world for collectibles, which has seen some big shifts with fanatics storming the space. On Friday, Netflix is launching a series on collectibles and Ken Golden called King of Collectibles, The Golden Touch. Joining me now is the man himself, Ken Golden. Welcome, Ken. Glad to be with you, Owen. So to start, let's just learn a little bit about you. So how old are you when you first started buying and selling collectibles? I think I did my first business deal probably with a friend when I was 12 years old, when I traded my electric car set for his uh, sports card collection. All right. And my first cash business deal was probably 13. And, you know, throughout my teen years, I was buying and uh, selling uh, baseball cards. Mm -hmm. Any gems in that first set you got when you were 12? Yeah, he, it was interesting because he, you know, it, it was, it was 1970s and he had some pretty good cards. He was probably able to put together uh, complete set run of most of the 70s and even the late 1960s. Mm-hmm. So you're probably, uh, well, the best person I know to give us kind of a, a history of the, the last couple generations in the collectibles mm-hmm. world. So you started in the 70s. What was the collectibles industry like from, say, 70s up to the what I think of as the first big boom in the 90s, maybe late 80s? What, what was that world like? Sure. So, you, you know, I've actually seen a lot of a lot of boons, and a lot of what I would call spikes in interest. The, you know, the 70s was very quiet. Um, you know, 70s to early 80s, I would be able to go out and place an ad in, you know, the local, you know, South Jersey Courier Post, uh, Shopper's Guide, things like that. And people, I'd say buying cards for cash. And I, there was one time I bought a collection of about 800 tobacco cards, T205s, T206s. That's the set, of course, the famous Honus Wagner is in. And I paid the person a dollar a card. Wow. There were no price There were no price guides back. There was no cell phones. There was no internet. There was no price guides. Um, you know, people, you know, and I'm, I'm a that time 14-year-old, you know, 14-year-old. And, you know, the guy probably had 18 Thai cops. Wow. So I got 18 T206 Thai cop cards for a buck a piece. And those, those were... The easiest days to make purchases. Nobody knew what they were, what they were worth. Nobody knew what they had. I didn't understand even what they had because there was no price guides. Finally, really in 1980, the first uh, organized price guide, uh, Sport Americana, came out by Dr. James Beckett, and that's when uh, people were able to look and see. But you know, the first real a minor boom was probably 1981 when Topps Monopoly was broken. And Fleer and Donruss came out with cards, and everybody rushed out to get to buy cases of cards. And if you bought a sealed, factory sealed case of 1981 Fleer baseball and kept it for the past 42 years, you probably can sell it for today about 90% of what you paid for it in 1981. Oh wow! That's, that's, <laughs> how, that's how many of those. That's how many of those they produced. Um, 
So the 1980s was really a time of overproduction of cards. Um, and I'd say the boom was probably 1987 through 1993. And it really took off in 89 when Upper Deck came out with uh, their, you know, ultra higher end cards, more modern concepts, sleeper, sleeker look, photos in the back, holograms in the card. You know, Ken Griffey Jr. is card number one. And that is really when speculating, the first time I would say that speculating and investing came into the card market where people would go out and buy like literally $25,000 worth of cards, put them in their garage or put them in a storage unit with the plan. I'm going to hold it for 10 years. I'm going to hold it for 20 years and I'm going to be a millionaire. Um, and of course that didn't happen. Um, the worst thing that happened to sports cards and the best thing that happened to sports cards was 1994. 1994, you had the baseball strike, cancel the baseball season. Um, at least two of the other sports leagues were on strike as well. Um, I think there was an NBA lockout. and um, I think, NHL, uh, I think, was somewhere around NHL there. Was, yeah. NHL as well, yeah. Um, football, I think, was a couple years earlier. And trading card market died. The manufacturers in 95, 96, 97 probably made about 10% as many cards as they did in the late 90s um, as they would have in the late 80s, early 90s. So that really helped create. And that's when they also got creative. They said, okay, we have to start making limited editions. We have to start um, numbering cards. We have to have short prints. And that's what really developed into the trading card market that we have, uh, that we have today. Okay, yeah. So that, that's an interesting place to start because for I think for a lot of people, and myself included, if you asked me two years ago, um, we've got that, yeah, that 90s overproduction boom. And I've got all these 90s cards, which I recently learned are basically worthless, um, especially because I wasn't, you know, like keeping them in the best condition. Um, so yeah, and, and then I think people think of it, there, of it as there being a big lull from, you know, whatever it was, 2000 to 2020, maybe. Um, because, you know, the internet means you don't need the back of the baseball card for stats and just people, I don't know, got interested in other things, became more of a niche thing. Um, is that how you would tell the story or is it a little different from your end? No, to me, I would say the lull and the real sleepy time in the industry was 1995 to 2002 prior to LeBron James entering the NBA. And that is when, you know, there wasn't anything overly expensive, you know, you know, a couple bucks a pack was considered high end. Um, and it really wasn't a crazy business that would have venture capitalists looking to invest and things of that nature and, you know, M&A work. Um, in 2003, LeBron came into the NBA and a lot of new people got in the cards. A lot of new people wanted to buy uh, their rookies and Upper Deck got more um, experimental in terms of their product. And they came out with a product called Exquisite. And I believe it was $500 a box issue price. And in there, you got one pack of cards. Wow. <laughs> but the, every single card was numbered. Every single card was a limited edition and either was like a one of one, a one of 50, or it had an autograph, or it had a jersey piece, or it had an autograph and a jersey piece. And all the jersey pieces on it were real, which meant that if you got a Michael Jordan jersey piece, they went out and they bought a game-used jersey and they cut it up and made little pieces. So that really changed the um, trading card industry and set off a real big boom, probably until about 2007. And card prices were going for crazy prices. When I, when I, and when I mean crazy prices, I mean 
you know, that somebody can pay $50,000 for a card, like uh, the best possible card you can imagine. And those were really crazy prices. You know, I opened up Golden in 2012. I saw a big opportunity, you know, and if you look at the, if you look at the growth of Golden, we did $800,000 our first year in business in 2012. Um, and then you go to 2020 and we did $100 million in business 2020. You could say, okay, fine. Three quarters of that year, you know, April through December was COVID. Um, but 2019 was our best year in record. We did $28 million. So we grew as the industry grew, 800,000 in 2012 to like 28 million in 2019 pre-COVID. And the reason was, is that the momentum had been building slowly from 2012 to 2019. COVID just dumped gallons of gasoline on it. And where are we now? I, mean, I think that's a lot of people's big question is there's that, that huge COVID spike. You dump the gallons of gasoline on it. Does that flame keep going or does it die off a bit? Here's where we are right now. This is, um, and, and I, I probably am more direct, more blunt and more honest than 99% of the people who will talk about the industry. And I will talk about negatives where other people do, other people do not. Um, I, you have to segment, segment the marketplace. Let's talk about what I've always, you know, cause I was a little kid, vintage, vintage cards. Okay. And this can be a baseball card. It could be a hockey card. It could be a football card. It could be a, um, it could be a war scenes card. It could be a three stooges card, any, anything vintage, any of the vintage cards. Um, they went up with COVID, but they did not go up exponentially they did not go up unrealistically and i think that we have seen on some of the cards not a honus wagner not a 52 mantle but on some of those cards come down in 2022 between 10 to 20 percent on some of those cards and this year they've stabilized and they're going back up you know because those have always been collectibles that, you know, since first baseball cards came out in the 1860s, that it's always been a collectible on. Um, there's always a great demand and a, and a natural limited supply. You know, there's a difference between natural rarity and scarcity and artificial created scarcity and rarity. And what had happened in during those years, during the COVID boom, cards of um, modern cards that, you know, we're selling for $5,000 in 2019, we're suddenly selling for $50,000. Um, cards of players that were literally $400 were suddenly selling for $4,000. Um, that was an irrational, unsustainable spike. Um, and I believe that, and, and, the, and the trading card manufacturers themselves were fooled into thinking that that is the true market and they raised their production in 2022 to meet 2021 demand and expected 2022 demand and for a lot of those products for the first time they sat on shelves so i think 2023 um and onward is going to be a scale back year and i, I think that the prices of some of the cards that did not deserve it okay um have scaled back dramatically to the point where I feel not all of them, but most of them are back to levels 
where they were in 2019, which was natural course of business, rational buying and selling. We'll have the rest of my conversation with Ken Golden right after this. Here's what's trending now. You can defer payments of a full NetSuite implementation for six months. 33,000 companies have already upgraded to NetSuite, gaining visibility and control over their financials, inventory, HR, e-commerce, and more. Everything they need to reduce manual processes, boost efficiency, build forecasts, and increase productivity. Whether your business generates millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, take advantage of this special financing offer of no payments or interest for six months at netsuite.com slash frontoffice. That's netsuite.com slash frontoffice. It kind of gets to something I've been, I wanted to ask you, which is what are we buying when we buy a collectible? I think it almost says something about human nature that we want, you know, pieces of, of the past. We want scarcity. Uh, it, why, you know, why are we spending, you know, in some cases, six figures on a piece of cardboard? Sure. And in some cases, look, there's, I've offered somebody $28 million for a 52 tops Mickey Mantle PSA 10 for a client. Um, and I've been turned down. So we, we know we know that that card is worth $30 million or more because I offered 28 and it was turned down. Um, so I, I think it really is that there's certain people that I always believe are born collectors. They can look at things and say, oh, wow, that's cool. I got to own it. Um, and this goes back, you know, this, this goes back thousands of years. I mean, how long has art been a collectible? How long have sculptures been a collectible? How long, you know, and, and what is... The Mona Lisa. Mona Lisa is paint strokes on a piece of, um, you know, on a canvas, right? That that's what it is. What is, um, what is a a diamond, right? Diamond is 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 a stone that, that looks pretty. So it's it's really any of these type of type of things that don't create travel, don't give off energy, don't create an income, don't create a recurrent stream of of revenue. You know, any of them could be called watches or collectibles. Vintage cars are collectible. So sports cards are a collectible. Um, they have, you know, I think it goes hand in hand with the sports. Literally, baseball has been played since the 1860s, and there have been baseball cards since the 1860s. Um, I think it is a way for people to capture a moment in time, capture an era and feel like they're a part of it, um, it's also a way for people to speculate. Look, if you're a billionaire, you can buy a sports team, right? Um, well, now maybe you got to be a multi-billionaire. You know, just a, just a single-digit billionaire might not be able to do it. But 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 billionaires, you know, buy sports teams. Um, millionaires <laughs> invest in cards, and thousandaires invest in cards. And it's also a way for people to speculate. Like if you, you know, I, I always find baseball is the easiest because the, the players don't jump into the leagues right away. But if you see a hot prospect for the Phillies and you say, you know something, I'm going to buy $2,500 worth of that guy's cards. You can get a decent number of cards probably. And if he hits a big, you can 50X your money. Um, if you think you know sports and you think you know baseball or you're a particular sport, it is a way of, um, it is a way of speculating. I love vintage cards. Uh, my son, God bless him, he loves learning about baseball history. So for me to go out and have like a 1951 Bowman complete set and be able to show him like in the complete set, oh, look, there's Mickey Mantle when he was a rookie. There's Willie Mays when he was a rookie. There, there's Yogi Berra. There, there's 
Whitey Ford, you know, but, um, you know, they're calling him Ed Ford on the card and, and things like that. It, it's, 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 to me, it's, it's a cool pastime. And if people are into collectibles, um, it's the type of thing they like. Last thing I'll ask you. Uh, so we've got a bunch of converging forces in the sports world. You mentioned rising team values, sports betting, uh, fanatics we talked about um, as, you know, something of a new monopoly, maybe not a pure monopoly, but they're they're taking over. What do you think is going to be the biggest shaping force in the collectibles industry over the next few years? Um, look, for one thing that we always can control is um, is the economy and the stock market. You know, when when people have more money to spend, uh, in general, collectibles rise. Um, it just it's just a fact of life. Um, I think that for the sports collectible business, um, I think that fanatics is going to be the biggest impact. There's no way it can't be. When you know, there are certain things we can't control. So manufacturing, you cannot control how attractive an NFL draft class is going to look. You cannot control how attractive an NBA draft class is going to look. 2023 draft, NBA especially, looks like an amazing draft class to be wanting to produce trading cards in. So if people go out and they open up a box of cards and they get value for their money, they will buy more cards. If people go out and they buy individual cards, they buy boxes of cards, and three months later, they do not see that same card or that same box selling for cheaper because it was overproduced, they will spend more. Somebody goes out and buys something for $500, and then a month later, they see the same product on a shelf for $250, they're probably going to be soured. So, and, and it's a big trickle down, you, you know. The, if people are excited about 2023 and 2024 product, it helps the 2012 product. It helps the 2017 product because you've got more buyers. So to me, um, setting aside economy, setting aside the draft class, to me, um, fanatics and the control of the quality and the production level of new issues is the most important factor in the sports card industry that, that we look forward in the future. And actually, before we go, I need to ask you, uh, you've got a Netflix show uh, coming, or Netflix has a show about you coming out um, in, uh, in this month. Uh, so what can you tell us about that? Sure. So it, it is a reality show. It is called King of Collectibles, The Golden Touch. And uh, it's season one is six episodes. And I think it's going on. People love the trailer. I think it's going to be a huge hit. It's something that people really never have seen. It's kind of like a pawn stars on steroids for the collectible world. Um, there are a lot of people can see an inside look. There's a lot of celebrities in it. And the reason is, is that either they collect themselves or they have something valuable. Those individuals include Drake, Joe Montana, Peyton Manning, Carl Malone, Logan Paul, um, Ric Flair. And, um, what may go down is everybody's favorite scene in the series, uh, Mike Tyson and I. Um, and it also includes individual folks out there who happen to find something that is so valuable, you know, it's going to, it's going to change their life. So I, I think that people are going to love it. It is very fast paced. It's uh, six, approximately 30 minute episodes. And 
It is a inside look at um, my life and the world of Golden. All right. Yeah, we had a, a very fun interview with, with Tyson on the show, too. Uh, but yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, and Ken Golden, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Let me know who you'd like to hear on the show at today at frontofficesports.com or hit me up on Twitter at Owen Poindexter or just drop it in a review on your podcast platform. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.